0: morning, everyone. Happy Thanksgiving to all of you, and thanks for coming out to Genesis this morning. If you've got a Bible with you, I wanna invite you to take it and turn to James chapter three. Uh, James is oh, a good 70, 80% of the way through your Bible, so close to the back. Uh, in the New Testament, James chapter three, we're gonna have the words on the screen, but if you wanna follow along on your own, we've got some Bibles around the room uh, on the floor, or if you like the YouVersion app uh, on your phone, that's a great tool as well. Uh, we invite you to follow along with us. Uh, What would you say is the most powerful muscle uh, in the human body? Now, I recognize that depending kind of on your perspective, we could all have a a different opinion on on the most powerful uh, muscle in the body. Like if you were to ask an athlete or if you were to ask a personal trainer, uh, there's a chance they would say, you're behind, right? I mean, they, they, that's, that's the most powerful muscle. In fact, we give it a great name, the gluteus maximus, right? I mean, it sounds like a character from Gladiator. Or, uh, you know, as you, you know, he enters the Colosseum, gluteus maximus has entered the Colosseum today. But we, we, we know if you're athletic at all, if you're active, you know it's critical to jumping. It's, it's a powerful muscle used for jumping, squatting, lifting things off the ground. If you ask a medical professional, though, uh, there might be some that would say, you know, what? I think about the most powerful muscle, I think about your heart you know, and just all the work that your heart does. I mean, it's a, the size of your fist, but but it takes, amount. you know, the, the, the amount, the, the strength, the force at which it pumps is comparable to the, to the force that, you know, in trying to squeeze a, a tennis ball. Get this, it does this on average 70 times per minute, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It moves five to seven liters of blood per minute or about 2,000 gallons a day. In the average lifetime, the human heart will be uh, 2.5 billion times and pump two. 200 million liters of blood, or enough to fill 80 Olympic-sized swimming pools, which is a little gross uh, to think about. But again, the, the heart is a powerful muscle, and as we're going to see in a moment, James here is going to draw attention to another strong muscle—a a muscle that has the ability to build up kingdoms and tear down kingdoms. It's a—it's a muscle that has the ability to to influence or build up a relationship or tear it down uh, in a moment. And he says it cannot be tamed. And according to James, it's this. This human tongue, you know, the two-ounce muscle uh, in the back of your mouth, the, the bottom of your, of your mouth there, that's the, well, James is going to point our attention to this. And you know, I, I don't know about you, but when I, when I think about the power of our words, you know this. Uh, when I think about the power of words, I can't help but think about some of those moments in my 43 years of life where someone has spoken words of truth or hope or encouragement to me and, you know, words like, uh, well done, or uh, I'm so grateful for you, I love you, I'm proud of you. Words like that build you up, right? They they encourage you. They kind of give you an extra step uh, in your day. But I can also think about some hurtful words I've received uh, over the years. You you know some of these. You've heard some of these. Those those words that as much as you try and forget about them, they they sneak up on you. They find their way back into your life. Words like "you're not good enough," uh, "you don't have what it takes," "I don't love you anymore," uh, or "you're nothing but a failure." We we don't forget those words easily. They have they have a tendency to follow us around. They stick to us and. And I've certainly said some hurtful words, the words that I regret. It makes me sad to think about some of the words that I've shared to friends or people in my own home. You know, I, I know there have been days when I've said some hurtful things to my wife and to my children, and I'm usually tired or angry, but that's a really bad excuse for, for saying words like these. And, and we've all heard this phrase before. We, we learned it as kids, and maybe you've, you've taught your own kids or you've taught kids in your lives the phrase, you know, sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Like, is there a statement that could be any more untrue? Like, I mean, if we're honest with ourselves, as we think about the power of our words, there are few things that are harder to control and carry more weight than our words, and uh, if you're new with us today, we've been in this series called Against the Grain. We've been looking together at a letter in the New Testament written by a guy by the name of James, and just a little background on James. James was the little brother of Jesus. That's kind of an important detail, and uh, during Jesus' ministry, many believed that James was a bit of a thorn in Jesus' side, but all of that changed when Jesus Christ rose from the dead, and not only did James go on to become one of the great leaders in the early Christian church in Jerusalem, but he was eventually martyred for his faith, Uh, just like his brother. Well, before James died, he wrote this letter to first century Christians, Christ followers, who had been forced from their homes as a result of some severe and increasing persecution uh, around Jerusalem. And he wrote this letter we now call the book of James to help them grow in their faith. He wrote it as just a practical guide for everyday living as Christ followers. And he wrote this to encourage them how to live faithfully in a really difficult and complex world. Well, today we're gonna look at what. James has to say about the importance of our words and the impact that our words can have on others because James realizes that these Christians 2,000 years ago were living around people who didn't know, all right, or who weren't following Jesus Christ. And so, because he knew this, he realized that these Christians were going to have countless opportunities to influence their neighbors. And he's especially sensitive at making sure that they're being very wise and intentional about the words that they use, especially in their everyday conversations. And get this, what James had to say to these Christians 2,000 years ago, it's for me too. All right, these words from James are for us as well, and they're so relevant for us today as followers of Jesus because we we have an opportunity every day to influence people, every single day in all that we do, and whether we're intentional about it or unintentional about it, the words we use each day say a lot about who we are, and what's most important to us in this world, all right? And so James chapter three, verses one to 12 today, we've been doing this every week of this series. Uh, I'm gonna invite you to stand with me. I know you've stood up and sat down a lot today, but it works our glutes, right? I mean, it's a good workout for our glutes. And uh, so James chapter three, verses one to 12, let's speak these words out loud together if you'll say them along with me. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring?" My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Thank you. You can have a seat. You know, our words affect and influence people in ways that we don't always see or understand. And James knows this, and he recognizes, again, that every single one of us... I just want you to hear this today, all right? This is for me, too. Every single one of us, your words and my words have the potential to influence people and their lives in some pretty incredible ways. We pray with me? Father in heaven, we pray and ask that you would lead and guide us today uh, through these words. Father, it's our desire to look more and more like you in everything that we do. We recognize you have us on this planet for a reason and for a purpose, and so guide and direct us today in all that we do, and it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Again, just kind of walking back through some of this. Notice in verse one, he James calls out right away, not many of you should be teachers, he says, because you know that you who teach will be judged more strictly. And so he makes it clear that teachers of the Bible are gonna be held to a pretty high account. Now, maybe you don't see yourself as a teacher, uh, but let me clarify something for you here. In James' day, uh, a teacher was anyone really with a platform. And, and I don't mean a, a platform like the one that I'm standing on right now, but a teacher was someone who had the privilege of, of speaking into the lives of different People get this. Uh, let, let's tune in on this. If you've got people in your life, you have a platform. All right, if you have people in your life and your circles of influence, uh, you have a platform, you have an opportunity to influence people with your words, people in your family. Uh, you have an opportunity to influence kids and in your, in your family in your home or, or or at school if you're if you're a student right now again the students around you in the hallway in the in the classroom on, on your team in, in the locker room again your, your friendships that you have the places where you work whether you lead people or not in your your connection group you know through Genesis Church I mean you, you have an opportunity to influence you have a, a platform and, and don't forget this one either because maybe every single one of us has a platform uh, that was non-existent existent 2,000 years ago, and I'm talking about social media, all right? And so if you have a Facebook profile, if you have a, a Twitter, if you have an Instagram, well, you buy these things. I mean, these social media platforms provide anyone the opportunity to speak to large, far-reaching audiences in, in a moment's notice. Now, social media in itself is not a bad thing, but every day we see examples of how it's abused and misused, and there have been a countless examples this past year of how destructive our words can really be. And we're all guilty, right? I mean, we've all been guilty of these things. We've all contributed to the chaos and the rage that is so evident and prevalent in our country today. And the same must have been true 2,000 years ago, at least to some extent. Because in verse two, James says, you know what, we all stumble, all right, he says every single one of us we stumble. Who 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 is never at fault, you know, for doing these things? And so it's kind of like James is saying, you know what? I'm I'm guilty too, and and I just can't help but think, you know, if if James really struggled with Jesus before the resurrection, and really in fact was a thorn in Jesus' side, like I wonder if one of the primary ways that he is he opposed his brother was through his words. You know, through his hurtful words. And so he's extra sensitive to this topic and he's seen firsthand, you know, the impact that our words can have. And so for that reason, James is going to double down, all right, with these Christ followers here and just reminding them, hey, your words are a really big deal. And what we're going to see him emphasize over and over again today, and if you're taking notes, write this down, is that our words, your words, my words are powerful. All right, our words are, are powerful. And again, James is gonna use different examples to help illustrate this. And he's also gonna call specific attention to the power of the tongue. Look at verse three. He, he, he calls out some of these examples. He says, you know, when we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal." Or he says, take ships as example. They, they are large, they're driven by strong winds, and yet they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. And so he uses two examples here. The first is of a horse. And if you've been close to a horse before, you know they're magnificent, you know, muscular uh, animals. But you put a, a bit, you put a small piece of metal in that horse's mouth, and then put a ninety-pound jockey on the back of an of a horse, and that jockey, with the use of a bit and an, and some experience, can steer that powerful three-thousand-pound animal wherever it wants it to go. And so James is trying to say, hey, that's what the tongue is like. All right, the the tongue has that same sort of effect. This this tiny little bit of muscle, I mean, it it can have a huge impact, and and you know that. I mean, just just think about what this looks like in, in everyday living. Like think about, even in your life, think about how uh, your words can open promising doors and shut them uh, real quickly. Or uh, think about how your words can hurt people or, or help people. Think about uh, how, how words can, again, tear down a relationship or build up a relationship. And so he talks about horses, he talks about these bits, but he uses another example too, and it's of a boat, not a, not a paddle boat, but think of an enormous ship, something like an aircraft carrier or a cruise ship. In fact, I, I don't know if you saw this or not, but there are currently plans underway, all right, for Titanic II. Not the movie, that would be a disaster, you know, but uh, but, but but a ship and uh, here's an artist's rendering of that ship and uh, at least for right now, the concept is targeted for completion in 2022, 800 plus cabins, 2,400 plus passengers, lots of lifeboats, right? Uh, all plenty of those to go around. And, and to think though, to think that a massive ship as this is steered by a relatively small speaking rudder that directs it through the wind and the waves of the sea and lots of hopefully around icebergs too. But, but James says this, he says, the same is true of our tongue. Our tongue has the ability to produce words that have the same influence on our body as the rudder of a giant ship. And again, if you think about how this plays out in everyday life, as you think about how this plays out at school or you know, uh, around the workplace or, you know, with the playgroup, whatever it may be. Like, think about it. One word, a comment, a tweet may seem small, but it can stir up something. It can steer something so great. Like, one comment can wreck a person's reputation, uh, whether it's true or false. One one word can fracture a relationship. Uh, one word can destroy a person's career. And so words are powerful. And and James' imagery doesn't end there. He continues in verse five, he says, likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. He says, the tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. And so he goes on to describe how our words are a lot like a fire, and if you follow the news at all, you've seen how devastating these fires are in California and the lives lost and the people that are missing and just communities destroyed. And it's, it's so hard to comprehend. I, I don't know about you, but it's so hard, hard to comprehend how massive these fires are and how quickly they spread. And then when you think about it, when you think about the investigations that will be done, think about how often the source of the fire is traced back to one isolated incident. And whether intentional or unintentional, one spark. And James says, you know what, our words, our tongue can have that same impact. And if, and if the horse and the ship and the fire didn't convince us, he uses another set of images. He says, you know what, all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly Poison. Now, I I can't help but think about snakes when he starts talking like this, and I hate snakes, all right? Poisonous or not poisonous, they give me the heebie-jeebies, all right? And so I I have no desire to to mess around with snakes, but notice how he says our words can be like spewing venom on people. He he says they're like a restless evil. Uh, He calls them a deadly poison. Get this, capable of ruining lives, but also, and I think this is what James was concerned about too, all right, that our words, our poor and negative words, again, have the potential to even ruin our reputation and message as followers of Christ in this world. Check this out. The, the Washington Post uh, ran a story a few weeks back entitled, It's Time for the Annual Starbucks Controversy. And uh, it's a poke at Christians, really. And uh, if you don't know the story, it points back to 2015 when there was this incredible social media outroar, uh, really calling for a boycott of Starbucks. And, and here's why, the, the the same year Starbucks announced back in 2015 that they were removing the words Merry Christmas from their cups. In fact, they went as far as banning their employees from saying Merry Christmas. And I remember initially seeing all of the rage and the article going around social media and even thinking to myself, you know what? I, maybe I should boycott Starbucks too. That sounds a little steep, all right? But there's a backstory. Uh, Because here's the thing, and I don't know if you know this backstory or not, but one person ignited the rage, a man by the name of Joshua Feuerstein, And he single-handedly started the controversy, this posting, uh, with a message on Facebook, basically saying that Starbucks removed Christmas from their cups because they hate Jesus. And he also tagged media attention to it, and really, he caused such an uproar by doing this. Well, Starbucks fired back in the process, assuring Christians everywhere that they were welcome to say Merry Christmas and insisted that the company did not hate Christians. But there's another article that I picked up this week that was just describing this controversy and specifically the backstory. And here's what they said about this. This is so good. He says, the reality is that Feuerstein tried to use Christian outrage to raise his own personal platform. And the sad reality is that his Facebook message could not have been more untrue. Because the truth is this, in the past six years, all right, and this goes back to 2015 and before, Starbucks has never ever put the words Merry Christmas on their cups, and they provided this pr- pr- picture to show the evolution. Instead, it's always used wintry language in ornaments that say things like joy and hope and illustrate things like snowmen and, and, and folly. But, but, but here's the point. One spark and all of this fire and this outrage and this calling for a boycott, is it any wonder, James says, it can be like a deadly poison, and it's a small muscle, but it's capable of so much devastation. Again, one Facebook post, all sorts of outrage. There's a book by a guy by the name of Ed Stetzer who works out of Wheaton. Bible College, and uh, he cites this story in his book. It's a great book. I'd recommend it to anybody called Christians in the Age of Outrage and just really citing what's going on in our world today. And really, it's a call to how, as Christians, are we supposed to live and respond amidst all the outrage? And here's what he says about this. He says, this particular story, no, Starbucks did not hate Jesus, but unfortunately, there sure are some folks that enjoy embarrassing his followers. And by the way, he goes on to say, Starbucks employees were never told they could not say Merry Christmas, but he says this, that's not their their job anyways. That's our job. It's the Christian's job to tell people about Jesus, not the barista who may be Jewish, secular, or whatever. You know, the Starbucks example is just one example on a grander scale, but again, stop and think for a moment about how you've been forever impacted by the power of someone's words. And whether they they would be words that we sometimes call gossip, uh, lying, uh, hurtful or belittling words, racial slurs, inappropriate, sexist, misogynistic sort of comments, words like these are harmful, they're dangerous, and unfortunately they impact us in great ways and we've all been hurt by words. And at the same time, We've all been guilty of hurting others with our words. And why, why do we do it? Well, these next words from James could be telling. Look at verse nine. He says, with the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse human beings who've been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. And so we understand that our words are powerful. All right, James is going to those lengths already, but he also shows us this in your notes. Our words are revealing. All right, your words and my words are, are very re- revealing. He, he says, you know, the type of water we find flowing tells us something about the spring. The, the type of fruit we find growing tells us something about the tree. The point is this, that our words reveal a lot about what's going on in our heart, all right? And what's going on in our lives. And Jesus had something to say about this. Uh, look at these words on the screen back in Luke chapter 6. Verses 43 to 45, it was Jesus that said, you know what, no good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. And then the zinger, he says, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. And I wonder where James was influenced in his words. I I think from his brother and hearing his brother speak these words. And again, just stop and consider how this plays out in life. And we've all had a moment like this where we've blurted out something in the heat of a moment only to look back later and think, what what was I thinking? That's not me. Or, Or you say something and it leaves your lips and the moment it leaves your lips, I mean, you desperately want it back, but it's too late. And what Jesus is saying is that, you know what, our hurtful words, our gossip, our hate-filled, lying, excessive sarcasm, cynical words, well, these words are an indication of what's going on in your heart and with your faith. And if what is coming, let me just say this, if what's coming out of your mouth, as you just think about this, as we think about this personally here today, uh, what's coming out of your mouth or showing up on your social media uh, isn't what you want, uh, if others are seeing this in your life and maybe calling that out in you, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm just seeing the way you talk or the things that you're posting. Like, if you find yourself saying words that are hurtful or destructive to others, it might be time to ask, well, what, what's going on in my heart? Like, what is it with my faith? Like, why do I feel the need to say these things? Or to ask, do these words really reflect, you know, what, what Jesus or what I claim that Jesus has done for me? Or Would Jesus be proud of what I'm saying? Or how about this? Did these words provide me a greater platform to talk about my faith and my Savior? Or are they driving people from me? Or maybe even worse, driving people away from the Jesus that I claim. And let me call your attention to one more phrase that I think would be way easy to pass over. Back in verse eight, notice what James says about the position we find ourselves in. He just says this, he says, but no human being can tame the tongue. And there's no getting around what he's saying here. I mean, he's basically saying, you know, that our tongues are uncontrollable, that we lack the ability on our own to tame the tongue. And I can't help but look at that and think, well, then, is there any hope? You know, or, or where does that leave us, you know, in our desire to follow Christ, to be a model for Christ in this world? Well, I think the answer is, well, hopefully, hopefully it leaves us even more desperate for Christ that we just realize once again that we need him more and more and every day in our lives because what you and I are incapable of accomplishing on our own, Jesus is able. He is able to do that work in us. By his spirit, working in our lives, he can produce these things. And thankfully for us, Jesus came and lived the perfect life. I mean, that's the glorious hope that we have. He lived the perfect life that we could never live. He spoke the perfect words that I would love to speak, that I'm not able to speak, that we're not able to speak. Those words that we're all fought, we've are all we all fallen short of and he died Well, he died, thankfully, for our sinful words. He died for our actions, and then he was raised from the dead, and Christ overcame sin for us. Uh, He overcame sin for you and me and each of us, and not only does he save us from our sin, all right, and that's the great hope that we have, but get this, and this is what we have to keep chasing after. He's also invited us into a new way of living in this world, and that's what James sees, all right? That's the vision that he has is the people that are going out and living the world and living differently, and that's the same hope that we have. All right. That's the good news that we have. That's the invi- invitation. And so before we close today, like if you've struggled with your words or maybe you're feeling a, a sense of conviction by the Holy Spirit today, just kind of recognizing, you know, I, I struggle with this. Like this is a challenge for me. I, I don't want to be known for critical or hurtful words and whether those be in the past or or there's something recent for you, maybe I'll just ask you to consider some next steps that that could be helpful for you, that could teach us, all right, that for every single one of us, these could be good practices in our life. Like, like I'll just start by saying re- repentance is a wonderful, beautiful thing. And we are called to repentance. It's the kindness of of our Lord that leads us to repentance and to his forgiveness. And and really, repentance should be a daily discipline for every single one of us Of just kind of laying out our imperfections before the Lord. And so if the struggle is talking down to your spouse or flying off the hook with your kids or excessive criticism or speaking poorly about others or gossip, whatever it is, again, we sin against the Lord when we do these things. All right, it's not just against other people. And so part of your time, my time with the Lord each day can be giving an account of where we've fallen short and seeking the Lord's forgiveness and guidance and experiencing that forgiveness and enjoying it. But a big part of repentance is, get this, changing direction. Like, Lord, I am grateful for your forgiveness. And now give me all right, give me the strength, the power to change direction, to change the course of my life. And, and sometimes that's going to mean this it's going to mean that you've got some people in your life that you need to reconcile with and apologize to, maybe those that you've hurt. And if you've got someone in your life that you've hurt by your words, maybe it's time to go to them, if appropriate, and apologize for what you've said. Again, it's seeking to make things right. But part of repentance is changing direction. You know, by your power, Lord, I want to, I want to change direction and course. In my life, And because our words are ultimately an overflow of what's going on in your hearts, that's what Jesus was saying, that's what James is saying, well, then we've gotta make it our practice to fill our hearts and minds with God's word, all right? I mean, because if you think about it, I mean, the type of news and, and images that we look at and experience each day, these influence us. And James has talked about this, if you've been with us these last few weeks, trying to grow and mature these Christ followers. Again, that's the work that he's wanting to do in us. And what did he keep pointing them to? The word of God. He said, you gotta keep reflecting on the word of God. And it's not enough to just know it, put it to practice. Again, it's about changing direction. It's about asking the Lord to make us more and more like Christ. And here's the thing, the more and more we fill our hearts uh, with, with, with the mind of Christ, all right, the more Christ is gonna come out of us, all right? The more he's going to influence who we are, our actions and words. And then this, and I think, I just feel like this is critical for all of us today. I wanna challenge you to think before posting. All right. And and just thinking specifically about social media here, because I know that I don't need to tell any of you this, but there is so much divisiveness and rage on social media each day. And I want to challenge you. I want to challenge each of us to make a conscious choice to say, I will not contribute to it and I'm not going to participate in it any longer. And whether it's political or personal, be mindful for every single one of us to be mindful of your tweets and posts and chats. And that includes our retweets and our favorites and whatever we else we do on social media with these things. Because here's the thing, and James alludes to this, we are all made in the image of God, every single one of us. And so when you think about it, tearing someone else down on Twitter as much as we dislike or disagree with them, ultimately is tearing someone down who at the end of the day has been made in the very image of God and likeness to. And so if you or I have a problem with someone, I think what Jesus would say to us is go to them directly. And if you are incapable of going them to direct, directly, I think he would say, then keep it to yourself. And let's make a choice then. I think what James would say to us is, let's make a choice to not ruin our witness and example by contributing to the growing firestorm of criticism and rage, especially on social media. Because really, when you think about it, it's foolish and it's irresponsible. And then what's the flip side? Well, I think the flip side of, of it is this, make it your daily goal. Can we make it our daily goal as often as we can to speak words of life? To speak encouraging words. It was true at Kathy, the founder of Chick-fil-A, who was famous for saying, How do you know if someone needs encouragement? They're breathing. That's what he said. And uh, I'll I'll close with this. Ken Blanchard writes about things like leadership and influence. And he tells a time, uh, a story of a time that he and a woman by the name of Barbara Glanz were doing some training with 3,000 frontline workers at grocery stores and retail outlets across the country. And they talked about the power of words and how you can make a difference in people's lives, even through your job. And well, a month later, uh, one of the teachers, Barbara, got a call from a guy named Johnny, who was a part of the training with a grocery store. And Johnny told her early on in the phone conversation. I'm 19 years old, I have Down syndrome, and I work as a bagger at a grocery store. And here's what Ken Blanchard writes. Let me just simply read it for you. He said, Johnny did, I liked your talk, but I didn't know what to do with it. So I went home and talked with my dad and I got an idea. And my dad and I sat down at the computer and every day we came up with a statement that is affirming of people that's encouraging. And so if I can't find one in a little quote book I'll make it up. We'll we'll type it up six different times on the computer. I print off 50 sheets, cut all of them and so I've got these 300 quotes each day. And then every night Johnny signs each of them personally. Then the next day at the grocery store he puts a stack right by where the bags are for the groceries and he gets everyone's groceries bagged up and then on the last sack all right he puts the quote of the day the encouraging word and he puts it in the sack. All right. And he makes sure as he hands over the bag of groceries to look the person in the eye and say to them, I I put something very special for you in this sack. I hope it will brighten your day. And then you'll help them with their groceries out to the car and load them up. All right. Blanchard writes, Johnny does this every single day. Uh, And Barbara said about after a month after this, she got a call from the manager of the grocery store who reported this, Barbara, I can't believe it. Something really amazing is beginning to happen at our store. I was walking around the store and I noticed that while we had lots of checkers at the checkout line, there was no one there, but maybe one or two people. But the line where Johnny was, where he was doing the bagging, went all of the way back to the back of the store to the frozen food section. All right, true story. True story. He said, I would tell them over the intercom that there are other lines that you could move to, but when we would walk through the aisles and talk to the people, they would just say, know what, we want Johnny's line. We want Johnny's encouraging word from the day. One woman came by and grabbed the supervisor, and she said, I, I used to come to the grocery store once a week, now I try and come almost every day. I want Johnny's encouraging word. About an- another month later, the store manager called Barbara and said, it's changing our entire culture at the store. Even the floral department now, when a flower is broken, they don't just throw it away. They walk around the store on their own initiative and they give it to our customers. They use it to brighten their day. Listen, here's the thing. There are a lot of people in the org chart at the grocery store, but I'm telling you, the most important person is Johnny, the grocery bagger. And he's taking this opportunity to speak words of life, life that, words that can change a culture, it's certainly changing people, at least according to this story. And I think you know this, but friends, if it can change a grocery store, man, it could change a church. And how could God use a church to influence a family, an individual? And maybe it sets course, and before you know it, it starts changing a community. If we could be a place and say we want to be a people where we speak life to one another, we're not going to gossip We're not going to be people of hearsay. We're not going to engage in this deadly poison that can destroy lives and family and people. We're not going to spread stories. We're not going to hear them and just pass them on. We're going to put a stop to them. We're going to share words of life. Genesis, what would it mean for you and me to be a Johnny with our words? How could God use us, use our words to change relationships, to change a family, to change a workplace? How could God use your influence and my influence on our platforms to influence others? How could we better point people to Jesus with our words? You know, this week, this Thanksgiving week, every single one of us, most of us are going to have a chance to put this to practice. We're going to gather with family and friends, and sometimes I know we're eager to do that and sometimes maybe not so eager to do that. But even in those family environments, if you think about it, I want to challenge you this week to be a Johnny with your words. To choose to say, you know what, I, I want to live the way that Jesus lived. I want to do the things that he demonstrated. Again, it's a, it's a powerful muscle, but it can be used for good too. And God wants to use you and he wants to use each of us in powerful and amazing ways so that others might know who our savior is and might find their way back to God too. There's a verse I want to leave you with. We've printed it on your message notes today. Something that you can take with you and maybe pray through this week. Maybe make it a daily prayer. Maybe memorize these words and be able to draw from them. Let them influence you and me in different ways. It comes right out of Psalm chapter 19, verse 14. Where the writer says, May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer we let these words influence us today and just ask the Lord to do great and amazing things through each of us. We stand with me? Let's pray. We'll be dismissed. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your word as instruction and as hope. And Father, we are grateful. We're reminded that we have Christ as our Savior who's given his life. And Uh, I I pray that for many of us, we're reminded of that today, and I also recognize that there may be some here today, Lord, that are encountering a message like that for the first time. Uh, Father, I pray they would know your hope and your love and your forgiveness and the difference that Jesus can make in any life. We thank you. We thank you for that love and for that grace. And Father, we pray that as we leave this room right now that you'll continue to influence us and guide us. By our actions, but also in our words as well. Help us to be sensitive to the words that we use. Help us to be more and more dependent on your word, Father, and your direction for our lives so we can truly be the men and women and students that you have called us to be here in this world. Father, let the, the words of our mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight in all that we do. And we thank you and praise you for being our hope and Savior.